You are listening to Sunday Gospel Reflections, a podcast made possible through the work of the Institute of Catholic Culture. I'm Father Hezekiah Carnazzo, founder and executive director of the Institute and your host for this program. In this podcast, we'll explore the historical and literary context, themes, and significance of the readings for the coming Sunday. This podcast was originally recorded as a video. For the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org. Blessed is our God at all times, both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Christ is risen from the dead, trampling down death by death, and on those in the tombs bestowing life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Christ is risen. Indeed, he is risen. We are now, what, Annie, in the depths of our of our Paschal season here, the fourth, about, preparing for the fourth yeah. Sunday. It's like halfway through, basically, right? Mm. Isn't it like eight Sundays between Easter Sunday and Pentecost, I think? And we're going to find St. Paul here in the middle of his first journey. Yeah, cool. absolutely. Very cool. So get out your notebooks and get out your Bibles. Look at this here nice are... notebook I have. Institute of Catholic Culture. Nice little notebook. See that? Nice notebook. I got to get me one of those. Yeah, there's nothing inside it, but maybe after today. Maybe start writing some stuff down today, Father. Take notes on today's Bible study. (laughs) I'm going to make notes for myself. Yeah, go ahead. For the fourth Sunday of Easter, our first reading is Acts chapter 13, and we get a little setup verse with verse 14, and then the main chunk of text will be verses 43 through 52. So Acts chapter 13, mm-hmm. 43 to 52. Our responsorial psalm is one of my favorites, Psalm 100. The gospel this weekend is John chapter 10, verses 27 through 30. Mm-hmm. And the second reading, Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, and then 14 through 17. Are you and ready to dive in? You know in what I'm going to do for all of you? I'm calling an audible right now. Oh. I'm going to start with the gospel. Because, because during this season, when we don't have an Old Testament reading, and of course, our attempt here, attempt <laughs> for what it is, <laughs> our attempt is to give the kind of historical background, lay the groundwork for your priest to preach on Sunday in your homily. Sure. So, so let's do it because, because it's good to put it in the proper order, right? The gospel account, life of the early church, book of Revelation. Yeah? Why not? Okay. I can, I can, I can call that, I, I can follow that audible. I like it. It makes okay. sense, right? So we're going to start with John yeah, 10. Absolutely. John chapter 10 verses 27 through 30. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can take them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one can take them out of the father's hand. The father and I are one short and sweet gospel for mm-hmm. this weekend. Um, I think, I think they call it good shepherd Sunday often because the, I think there are a lot of nice. this weekend, they do uh, passages from the, the good shepherd discourse in John. So, okay. My first question on this gospel is, so we've, we've spent the first few weeks of Easter 
hearing in the gospels, these post-resurrection accounts, you know, Jesus appearing to the apostles after he has died and, and risen from the dead. But this reading is pre-resurrection in John chapter 10, right? So can you kind of help us get our bearings here as to like where and when Jesus is saying all this? Sure. So, so, so this is now he's coming to the, to the end of, or is at the end of what we might call the book of signs in the gospel of John. Jesus is, is completing his ministry. And you can, you can just see that if you're just flipping in your Bible, which I had actually turned away from John for a second. So let me just turn back there. If you're just looking at the, the headings of your look at, you're going to look at chapter 11, for example, you're, you're the raising of Lazarus. So mm-hmm. Lazarus is the bookend of Holy Week, right? So right. we are now the culmination of Jesus's public ministry. And it's here that he has spent now three years doing all this amazing stuff. He, he just healed the blind man, right? Here, yeah. just, just, just prior to this passage. And yet the Jews watching all of this are, of course, the, the leaders of the Jews, right, are, are plotting to kill him even now. Mm-hmm. Well, they've been plotting to kill him the whole time. But now right. the thing is to reach a fever pitch. So here in chapter 10, I love this passage because this is the Good Shepherd Sunday. It's so nice. Jesus, so the sweet. hippie, yeah. comes and takes the sweet little, you know, lamb, little on his lamb over his neck. And he carries him so nice. Yeah, yeah. Which is completely contrary to the gospel passage. Here in John 10, the war is set. I mean, it's on. And now Jesus just throws fuel on the fire. Okay. Mm. These words that Jesus says are the most offensive. So, so if you're like thinking childhood storybooks of Jesus carrying the, the lamb and so are Jesus a good shepherd, get it out of your mind. Jesus is going right after these guys. And what he's doing is he's using a passage from the Old Testament, which was a messianic prophetic passage spoken in the book of Ezekiel. And it was a judgment upon the very guys that are standing around trying to get Jesus arrested. Okay. Mm. The, the Jewish authorities are, are working for Jesus' downfall. And so Jesus goes and refers to the prophet Ezekiel in which Ezekiel speaks of the leaders of God's people as shepherds and then says you sickos you've been eating the very sheep you were supposed to be guarding right and that's exactly what's been going on right jesus heals the blind man and they're going and they throw the blind man out of the temple right right? right. this is exactly what's going on right so he heals the paralytic and they're like how dare you break the sabbath right Mm -hmm. every time jesus heals they go after jesus and they go after the guy and it really it reaches a, a fever pitch here with the healing of the blind man. When they throw the man out of the temple for having been healed by Jesus, They're like what, you know? <laughs> yeah. So in order really to get the context here of chapter 10, you got to go back to chapter nine, at least and sure. read the healing of the blind man and re- and let it, re- let it really speak to you about how bad the situation has gotten. So when Jesus sees how bad it's gotten, he then just goes after these guys. He says, enough is enough. You sickos, you, you, you so-called shepherds of Israel, you've been feeding yourself on the sheep instead of guarding them. Wow. And he does this by way of this Old Testament reference, which would have been right at the forefront of these guys' minds, right? And that reference is to Ezekiel chapter 34. So, but remember, before we go there, actually, wait one second. 
who's the good shepherd, right? Who's the one, who does Jesus say the shepherd is of the people? He is. He is the shepherd, right? Yeah. Like, That's right. nice, Jesus. Until you realize that in Ezekiel, what we're about to see. Okay, so let's go. Let's go okay. there. Okay, Ezekiel chapter 34. And we're going we're gonna to allow ourselves to do a little reading here because it's just worth it. This is okay. just, just juicy stuff. It's good stuff. And again, when you're going to go to Ezekiel, Annie, good Bible uh, habits are building upon you people. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Go to the beginning. Yeah, because the pro one of the prophets, right? So the beginning of the prophet is going to tell you when he's living. Okay. So let's go ahead and just do that very quickly. Okay, hold on. Let me so, put a bookmark in 34 so that I can do that right. quickly. All right. So, so Ezekiel chapter one, verse one. In the 13th year, are you with me? Yep, I'm here. In the 13th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the exiles by the river Chebar, the heavens were open and I saw the vision of God. Now, where's the river Chebar? It's in Babylon. Ezekiel has been taken. As You have to realize that the Babylon exile, there are three exiles that take place. Okay, The royalty, the rich people, and then everybody else. Okay, So there's these three things that go on. And here we go that Ezekiel is taken in the, uh, sorry, in the, I said the 13th, the 30th, 30th year. Yeah. Okay. And he said, but he gives another reference in verse two on the fifth day of the month. It was so, so not only is it 30 years now into the exile, but it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiachin. Now, where are you going to go to find out about King Jehoiachin during the Babylonian exile or in the, at, the, at that moment of the exile, where are you going to go? I would imagine Kings. Second Kings chapter 25. And we're not going to spend any time there really, except that you're going to just go there because it's a good practice. Come on, turn with me. Second Kings chapter 25. You'll see 25 verse 27. You'll see Jehoiachin mentioned. Okay. Second Kings chapter 25. But really to go back, you've really got to go back and read from 24 and 25. There's your context to now place Ezekiel into this thing. Ezekiel now has his vision, and in chapter 34 of Ezekiel, he calls it out for what it is. Well, the Lord does, because he says, you know why this exile has taken place? Because of you worthless leaders led the people astray, right? Remember yeah. the, the, the pagan temples built on the Mount of Olives. Do you remember they refused to honor the Jubilee year? Mm-hmm. Okay, the whole, right, it's after the exile, they come back, they discover the book of the law. They're like, yeah. oh, oh, no. Well, where right? was this all Total our disaster. Lives. It's like, you know, it's, it's like that classic thing. Oh, Catholics don't know, know the Bible. Yeah. You know, well, you know whose fault that is. The priest. Right. It's my fault, right? Because if, if, if I'm supposed to be a teacher of the people, but I don't teach, <laughs> then guess who's going to answer for it before God if the people are biblically illiterate? Well, I think that's another passage in Ezekiel somewhere. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 The, the, I'll hold you accountable, accountable for their ignorance. That's yeah. exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So here we go. Here we go. Ezekiel. Oh, I just tried to stand on my leg and my leg is broken and I'm on a not broken. It's, it's not broken, but it's not good. But that's why I flinched right there. Ezekiel <laughs> chapter 34. Here we go. Chapter 34, verse one. I'll read the first few verses and then Annie, I'm going to let you pick it up. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, that's Ezekiel, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ho, shepherds of Israel, 
who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? Now we're going to find out the rest of the story. Go ahead, Annie. All right. How far do you want me to read to? Just keep reading. Just keep reading. We're 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 just going to soak in 34 here because it's a big This is already great. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. I love this. By the way, I love this because we only have shepherds in the Old Testament. We have shepherds in the New Testament in the church today, don't we? Okay. Keep reading. Absolutely. You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed. No, 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 no. okay. You got to think about Jesus in the gospel account. Oh, and you're referring yeah. to this, right? Is this not what he's been wow. doing, right? Yeah. Okay, go ahead. The crippled you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered all over the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, says the Lord God, because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd. And because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search out for my sheep and I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock, when some of his sheep have been scattered abroad, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they had been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the fountains and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and upon the mountain heights of Israel shall be their pasture. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on fat pasture, they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. Okay, stop. Here's here's the earthquake. Read the next verse. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. Yeah. Do you see what Jesus is claiming? Yeah. Jesus is claiming, he's, I mean, it's it's absolutely clear. There can be no doubt that Jesus is referring to Ezekiel chapter 34. And having referred to Ezekiel chapter 34, he then applies what was applied to Yahweh to himself so no wonder just, they crucified him right this is, this is what this is what they said he's made himself equal to god and here he makes himself yahweh himself yahweh is going to become the shepherd of his people and jesus says that guy that's me yeah okay so so much wow. for the nice jesus and the uh and, and 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 all of that business and um and so you know wow yeah and maybe we can we can now then go back to what you were talking about earlier about 
why this change now in the gospels we've been talking about the we've been doing the gospels of the resurrection but now we go to this the the gospel of the good shepherd right yeah why because remember just as much as i kept reminding everybody during lent that lent was for the catechumen mm-hmm. so now the post lenten season pasca the paschal season the season of the resurrection is for the newly illumined remember in the old test or not in the old test in in that time before their baptism this is really super important for i know a lot of our, our participants in this are rcia teachers catechists and so forth we tend today to want to make theologians out of out of our, our out of our catechumens right and, yeah. and so what do we do we pull well, out we the, have so many famous converts that are right yeah, yeah. right <laughs> but we pull out the 50 pounder right yeah well you know you just have to read in the first few pages of the introduction to this oh that was my child yeah oh, um, i was gonna say what are you crossing out in the catechism father <laughs> in, in the first few pages you just have to read the introduction of the catechism is very clearly that this is a theological text for advanced study. Yeah. And, and yet we, we try to make theologians that pass tests in order to become Christians instead of in, in, allowing the person to encounter the Lord. Yeah. And so the whole of the catechumen during Lent is a matter of encounter of what God has done for us, primarily in the Old Testament. So we begin to recognize what the Lord has done and say, yes. I want this for myself. And then having been baptized into the waters through the waters of, of holy baptism, we now rise to a newness of life and begin to see now for the first time, the truth of what is around us before it was just kind of almost like a little bit from the experience standpoint, like, okay, here's what God did. And do, do you want him in your life? Yes, I do. Okay. Now he's going to do this. And now the catechumen, the, the newly illumined, I should say the newly baptized eyes are opened. And now they can see Jesus for who he is, the church for what it is, baptism for what it is. You know, in the early church, in the, 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 those preparing for baptism were not given a deep catechesis on what was going to happen to them on the night of Easter. Sure. They, it, was, it was left. Because, why? Because Nicodemus, you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you've been baptized. Baptism gives us a newness, a new life, a new nature by which we can now see as God sees. Yeah hear as God hears. Yeah. We can be like Jesus who follows the father in all things. And now having received that gift, the sheep listen and they follow the one, the true shepherd that is Jesus Christ. Yeah. And so this, this gospel is given to us to allow us and those who have been now newly joined to the church to realize what Jesus has done for us. He's gone out and found you. He found you out among the wolves, but it wasn't your own power by your own strength that you made your way back to safety. It was because he took you on his shoulders. You know, that time in the catechumen, he was carrying you that time that you thought you were doing all the studies and all getting yourself all ready, get yourself ready to be a, you know, baptized in the church. Was Jesus preparing you? Was Jesus carrying you? Yeah. It was Jesus's voice you were hearing calling you when you, when you were, you, you, you responded to that call and you said, you know, maybe now is the time in my life. That was Jesus whispering to you and you heard his voice, which means you are one of his sheep, one of his flock. And now you are to follow him. Yeah. St. Um, Cyril of Alexandria says the mark of Christ's sheep is their willingness to hear and obey. 
just as disobedience is the mark of those who are not his. We take the word here to imply obedience to what has been said. People who hear God are known by him. No one is entirely unknown by God, but to be known in this way is to be part of his family. Therefore, when Christ says, I know mine, he means I will receive them and give them a permanent mystical relationship with myself. He goes on. It might be said that inasmuch as he has become man, he has made all human beings his relatives, since all are members of the same race. We are all united to Christ in a mystical relationship because of his incarnation. Yet those who do not preserve the likeness of his holiness are alienated from him. My sheep follow me, says Christ. By a certain God-given grace, believers follow in the footsteps of Christ, no longer subject to the shadows of the law. They obey the commands of Christ and guided by his words, rise through grace to his own dignity. Imagine that. Yeah. They rise by grace to, his, to the dignity of God himself. Yeah. For they are called children of God. When Christ ascends into heaven, they also follow him. Isn't that, isn't that beautiful? So this, this again, this, why now this transition from the announcement of the resurrection to, you know, a passage in the middle of the gospel, because the passage has everything to do with what has now happened to those who have been baptized. Jesus has carried them to safety. And now this encouraging word about being obedient and remaining faithful to his word, because the road ahead is, is difficult, right, Annie? It's not, it's not like we're baptized. And then, you know, as, as Father Joseph Francavilla used to say, uh, you think it's all good now, right? You put on the white robe, you carry the candle, you're in business, right? No, you just did. You just turned. You, you just turned your back on the devil. You know, in the Byzantine yeah. tradition, we actually spit on him. The priest says, "Do you renounce Satan and all of his works and all of his pride and all of his, all the?" And he said, "I do renounce him." And then, "Do you renounce him?" I do renounce him. Back and forth, back and forth. And he said, "Then breathe and spit on him." And we turn to the west, the place of the setting of the sun, the place of darkness, the abode of the devils, and we spit. And then wow. we turn to the east. We turn our back upon the evil one, yeah? And so you know, the day of your baptism is the beginning of the war. And that, and that war is going to be fought throughout your life. You remain obedient to him, to hear his voice always, and be willing to follow him wherever he takes you. Well, and that idea of being part of the flock he tends, I mean, that's what Psalm 100 is all about. Since you called the audible, I'm going to go to the, I'm going to call the audible and go to the responsorial Psalm before we head over to Acts of the Apostles. This is one of my favorite Psalms, Father, that Psalm 100, it's one of the ones, one of the options for the invitatory prayer in, in the breviary for morning prayer. And, and one that, that is very easy to memorize and all about being part of the flock of God. Yeah, it's, it's, it is quite beautiful. You know, all the Psalms, all the Psalms are beautiful. If we listen to them, you know, there's a great father, Ronald Knox uh, said so beautifully, he says, the Psalms are the nursery rhymes of the church mm, yeah. upon, back upon which we fall in back on in difficult times as we all do. We return to our childhood, to the voice of our mother and so forth to the songs that we learned, to the stories that we learned on her knee. And there it is. Sing joyfully to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with a joyful song. We are his people, the sheep of his flock. Know that the Lord is God. He made us. 
His we are, his people, the flock he tends. The Lord is good. His kindness endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. You know, this, this theme is much to meditate upon about, about being a member of the flock of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And, and some people might even hear this, like, oh, that's so demeaning because, you know, uh, how, how is it that the sheep can be like the shepherd if, if he's just a sheep and you got know, two different completely? No, because we know that we have the good shepherd, right? We have the one who leads us always to the truth, always to the good for us. Um, and uh, and uh, even when we find ourselves in difficult places, right? In the, in, the, in the valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil. Why? Because we know the one leading us even through that difficult day. Is, 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 is leading us in the path to those fresh waters, yeah? Mm-hmm. So we can have total confidence. And what are those fresh waters? Fresh waters are fresh waters of baptism by which baptism. we are given that new nature and, be, and, and, and become, become in the image and likeness of the shepherd himself, which is, which is amazing. We're not left in this s- subject state, right? The good shepherd wants to give his whole life to his sheep. Literally, he gives his life so the sheep now have his life within them. And that's what Jesus has done for us. Yeah. Well, just like that, that quote that you had from, from Cyril was saying, you know, he ascends to heaven and brings us with him. I mean, what an incredible thought. Um, There was another part in that quote, actually talking about the ones that choose not to follow the ones that are disobedient and they fall out of the flock. I mean, I think that Mm. that's kind of what we're we're seeing it's, here in the first reading in Acts 13. It, it is. And, and again, the, the church is speaking. Jesus is speaking to those who've been baptized to say, look, your, your salvation is not assured. Yeah. It is possible for you to choose a different path because now, look, the, 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 in, a sen- in some sense, look, last Sunday was the last Sunday that the, the newly baptized now wear their baptismal garment. In the early church, they would wear that for eight days. After those eight days, you take it off and you're still living the light of the resurrection, but you, in a sense, you return to those requirements of your life, your, 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 your job and things like that. And now comes the test, right? The parties are over. Yeah. You're, uh, you know, you're, you're one of the, the honeymoon you know, is over. Yeah. Before basically. maybe father said to you, you know, Oh, Hey Joe, so good to have you come to church again. We're so excited for your baptism. And now you walk out, he's like, yeah, shake your hand. Yeah. Get the cup of coffee. You know what I mean? And now you're one of like the, 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 you know, multitude that we're going to see in the book of Revelation. And you might start to let those things start, start to, to wear on you. And all of a sudden the temptations come, um, but, but remain faithful to the Lord and the word he's planted in your heart. Absolutely. All right. Because we don't want to be like the, uh, the Jews in this reading here that we're no, about we to read not. from no, Acts chapter 13. So once again, Let's take a look. if you're reading along in your Bible, we'll start with verse 14 and then we skip pretty far down in the passage to verse 43 and go from there. So Acts chapter 13. Paul and Barnabas continued on from Perga and reached Antioch in Pisidia. On the Sabbath day, they entered the synagogue and took their seats. Many Jews and worshipers who were converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who spoke to them, and urged them to remain faithful to the grace of God. On the following Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and with violent abuse contradicted what Paul said. Both Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, 
and said, it is necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and condemn yourselves as unworthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For the Lord has commanded us, I have made you a light to the Gentiles, that you may be an instrument of salvation to the ends of the earth. The Gentiles were delighted when they heard this and glorified the word of the Lord. All who were destined for eternal life came to believe, and the word of the Lord continued to spread through the whole region. The Jews, however, incited the women of prominence, who were worshipers, and the leading men of the city, stirred up a persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and expelled them from their territory. So they shook the dust from their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. The disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Wow. <laughs> I mean, quite, a, quite an account that we have here. Annie, the first thing probably we want to do is just get our bearings. Yeah. Yeah. And there's two things to get our bearings. And that's a bit of the context, right? Where we're at in the story. Remember, guys, if and I encourage you, we have a study of Acts of the Apostles. Well, I did a study of Acts of the Apostles, but I'm not going to necessarily recommend my study because someone much greater than I, and that is my brother, did a, a wonderful study of uh, Scripture 101 and Scripture 102. And also a deep dive into St. Paul in which he begins and always references back to Acts of the Apostles. In fact, probably if you want to get Acts of the Apostles, that's what I'm going to recommend you is go ahead and study our course that we have on St. Paul in, under our courses tab on our website. Okay. So, but nevertheless, here we are, want to get our bearings. So we've, we've, we, uh, a simple, you know, it can be helpful is just simply go in your Bible and you get the headers, right? You've got, we've already had the day of Pentecost, of course. Mm-hmm. And, and then we we have the, the conversion of, of Paul. And so if you pick up this story really in chapter eight, okay. Chapter eight so, of Acts, got it. Yeah, you'll see Saul persecuting the church in chapter eight. Mm -hmm. Chapter nine is, is Saul's conversion, okay. Mm -hmm. And then the, a key passage here then is that Saul then begins preaching there in Damascus. Remember, he's going up to Damascus to persecute the Christians when, when he has this conversion. Mm -hmm. And then he begins, he goes to the synagogue, he begins preaching, right, in Damascus. And the Jews are like, what? So he's like, chapter 9, verse 19 and 20 and following. See 20? See that 9, 20? And in the synagogue immediately he proclaimed Jesus, saying, he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the man who uh, made havoc in Jerusalem and those who called on his name? And this he, sounds very right. similar to when Jesus shows up at the synagogue and, and proclaims the kingdom and the, the oh, jubilee. Yeah. There's a lot here, actually, a lot of similarities here. Of, yeah. We're going to see it. They're going to expel. They're going to expel Paul and Barnabas in some sense, like they expelled the blind man, hmm. right, from the temple, which in the context of our gospel reading. So I just very interesting. And of course, they're going to expel Jesus by yeah. crucifying him. Okay. So verse 22, but Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. And here's the key. Verse 23, when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot came known to Saul and they were watching the gates day and night to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down over the wall, lowering him in a basket. Okay. And then, and when he had come to Jerusalem, now here's the thing. 
is that there, there, there appears to be a little bit of a contradiction here because if we hold our hands there and we turn to Galatians chapter one, Galatians chapter one, verse, go to verse 15, verse 15. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and had called me through his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. So there's his conversion, right? Right. In order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and again, I returned to Damascus. Okay. So it appears as though there's a, first you say it was a conflict or a, a contradiction. It's not necessarily a contradiction. It just appears that Acts of the Apostles gives the crib notes to what happened. But what would make a lot of sense is, is Paul having done what he did, having become such a prominent persecutor of the Christians, realized it's time to take a little retreat. I think maybe it's time to think this thing over with. And so there, all of a sudden he's trying to kill the Christians, right? He's stoning Stephen. And the next time, the next thing we know, they're trying to stone him. Yeah. And the whole thing's gone haywire. He goes into Arabia. Now, where is he going to Arabia? There's debate upon this, but certainly it's, it's the trans Jordan or across the Jordan, right? He goes, he heads East, gets out of Dodge, gets clear of this whole business and spend some time out there in contemplation before he heads back in through Damascus and eventually to Jerusalem, where you pick this up, verse 26. And Annie, go ahead and read this for us from verse 26 to 30. And then we'll have the whole context. In Acts chapter 9. Nine. Acts chapter 9. Okay, Verse sorry. 26 through 30. Sorry. Go back a couple of pages here. All right. Acts chapter 9, <laughs> verse 26. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brethren knew it, they brought him down to Caesarea Caesarea, and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it was multiplied. So there you have it. He takes off Caesarea here, by the way, those have been in the Holy Land before. A lot of groups go up and visit Caesarea Philippi, which is kind of north in the Holy Land there, uh, north in Galilee. But this is a different, this is Caesarea Maritime. They take him to the coast, right? And they get him on a boat because you're like, got to get out of here, right? <laughs> got to get out of he here. Heads, he heads north to Tarsus, not too far actually from, from the area of, of Damascus. And we're going to pick up that in Antioch, that whole area there. And you're going to pick up that story then in chapter 13, verse one. I know I'm giving a lot of context, but it's important, I think. Yeah, Chapter 13, verse one. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, uh, Lucius of Cyrene, uh, Manan, a member of the court of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul, 
while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and sent them off. Okay. Mm. And so now we're going to get this pickup in, in verse 14, where they end up going to, to Antioch and Pisidia. And Antioch and Pisidia is not Antioch in Syria that we're used to, right? Just north of the Holy Land. It's actually over there a little further. We're going to pull up the map. You can see it right here. Paul's first journey. There we have it into Cyprus. Okay, up there into Pisidia. Uh, and there you have it, Antioch. You see Antioch up there? Yeah. That's right the here. Antioch and Pisidia that we're talking about. And then you'll notice at the end of our reading today, so they shook the dust from their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. So there you have Iconium. Right and guys, this is important because, you know, one of the difficulties is we just kind of going over these things. It just goes fast and we're just moving. And you're like, okay, but this wasn't all that helpful. Like, what does it matter where he is? Well, it's going to matter very much because you have to realize that when, when the apostles go to Antioch, they go to Damascus, who are they meeting there? They're going to the synagogue, yeah? And when they leave there and they set sail, they're going to do the same thing, right? You're going to go to your homeboys, right? You're going to go to your hometown guys. You're going to go to the synagogue because it's where everything's at. And you're going to start explaining to those that can understand, right? You ever tried to go to Taco Bell and convert the guy to Jesus? It's not easy because you don't share a lot in common, right? right? But but if you go over to your local, I don't know, evangelical Protestant church, like I'm going to meet with a, I'm going to meet with a Seventh Day Adventist pastor here in a couple Ooh. of days, because I, you know, with this guy I can talk, okay, and we can talk about why the Seventh Day Adventists are crazy, and and then we can maybe bring them to the force of the faith. <laughs> so here we are. He's going to go, and and they're going to go to the synagogues, and they're going to stand in the middle of the synagogue. You go look. You see what you're reading, just like Jesus did, right? He unrolled the scroll in, in Luke chapter four, and he's like, here it is. So they're going to go there and they explain how Jesus is the fulfillment expectation of people, and, they, and they're reaping big benefits. Right? They're, they're getting converts all over the place. And that's exactly what happens here in the passage that we, that we have. Now, you got to realize you got multiple people in the group. So you're trying to paint the picture. He's now left the Holy Land, he's headed into Asia Minor. Mm -hmm. in the area of Greece, that whole area. And who's there? Well, you've got the Jews of the dispersion, but the right. further they get, the smaller the synagogue's going to be, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, whereas closer to Jerusalem, the groups are going to be bigger. Now there's a turning point. This passage is a critical moment in the life of, of, the, of the church. Critical moment. Okay, and, and why do I say that? Because you need to read, read, read very carefully. First of all, they're up there in, they're getting further away from home. Mm -hmm. And who do they encounter? They encounter Jews. First of all, okay, there's Paul and Barnabas. So here we have the Christians, right? Right. Then we have Jews. There are yeah. many Jews. And among the Jews are worshipers who were converts to Judaism. So we yeah. already have the synagogue there in Antioch, in Pisidia, has been making converts among the Gentiles. Yeah. yeah? And we, they call them worshipers, right? And then we also have some of the rulers who are mixed. The wives are worshipers. There was the wives that come to faith, which is not uncommon. We just had a talk at the Institute, women of faith 
right? Mm -hmm. The women come to faith in Christ. The men are a little slower. So then now the Jews who have not accepted Christ go and incite the rulers against Paul and Barnabas, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Notice, notice, I'm just going to grab here in the middle of our reading on the following Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered together. Well, who is this whole city? These are the Gentiles, right? The whole of the city of Antioch converges probably on the synagogue itself to hear the word of the Lord. Now think sheep. Yeah. The Lord is, is, is who, how did they gather? Because Jesus is picking them up and carrying them. Yeah. Yeah. And the Jews saw the crowd and they were filled with jealousy. Yeah. And remember last week we were talking about Gamaliel, right? In, in Acts yeah. of the Apostles saying, look, if it's of the Lord, there's nothing we can do about it. Right. And yet these people have not learned their lesson and they become filled with jealousy because they see all the people they've been trying to convert this whole time. All of a sudden are the hands of Paul and Barnabas. And so and so you, uh, you have this, this conflict that, that begins. Both Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, it was necessary the word be spoken to you first. So talking to the Jews. Mm-hmm. But since you reject it, right? Jesus goes among his people. He heals the blind. He heals the paralytics. These guys are all Jews. Yeah. And eventually they reject him. And so he, 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 they, he, he and the early church then turned to the rest, Right. But since you reject it and condemn yourselves as unworthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. There you go. That's the moment wow. right there. This, yeah. to, this moment in which the church now opens herself up to the evangelization of the Gentile world, which is going to now cause a further conflict, isn't it? Because we're in chapter 13, very shortly, we're going to be in chapter 15. So I'm going to encourage all of our participants to, uh, we'll be, of course, we'll be talking about this again next week, but in preparation, read chapter 13, chapter 14, chapter 15, because now the conflict happens within the Christian community. And that is certain Jews, maybe certain Gentiles who had also converted, in other words, they had been circumcised, right? yeah. we had to do it, right? All of a sudden, there's a conflict of whether you had to become a Jew in order to become a Christian. Mm-hmm. So we call these the Judaizers. We talked a lot about this at the Institute of Catholic the culture of this conflict that's going to now begin to develop here in, uh, in, in Acts of the Apostles. And it's going to be a critical moment for the evangelization of the, of, of the world as the church goes out and engages with these Gentiles. Um, I want to ask you about the next part. So we were talking about the Jews. We now turn to the Gentiles. And then the very next verse, it says, so the Lord has commanded us I have made you a light to the Gentiles Mm. that you may be an instrument of salvation to the ends of the earth. And then they, they say basically that God um, commands them, uh, commands this of them. Right. So when does the Lord command them to be a light to the Gentiles? Well, I think you'll remember from the gospel of Matthew, we can turn back there and remember Jesus's preaching on the Mount of Beatitudes, right? And the preaching of the Beatitudes, right? And just after the preaching of the Beatitudes, here I am in chapter five, Matthew chapter five is up in Galilee. He's up on the mountain. And then what does he say? Chapter five, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. Yeah, but if the salt loses taste, how shall the saltiness be restored? Is no longer good for anything, be thrown out and trodden underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. I'm just going to say a couple of things, and then I'm going to test your, your love of the Psalms, Annie, because oh boy. I know you Here love the go. Psalms. 
because this is not the first time that God's people are called to be the light to the nations. But remember, just before I'm going to ask you the psalm, is who is the light of the world? Jesus. Jesus, right? Mary Gospel, John chapter one, in the beginning was yeah. the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was made nothing that was made in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness could not comprehend it. So Jesus is the light of the world. Of course, we are baptized into him. And therefore, those that follow Christ now participate in the one who enlightens mankind as Paul and Barnabas are doing here. Okay, so they're called to be Jesus to these people. Yeah, but remember the ministry of Jesus Christ is a fundamentally important. The ministry of Jesus Christ is nothing new. There's nothing knew about the new testament okay and and what i mean by that is that jesus has come to restore the original covenant which god had made for adam and eve and which he had been calling for all of salvation history for his people to return to him so that they may be like him the light of the world yes um and so and so this is not the first time either with jesus or with the apostles or the Mount of beatitudes you know paul and barnabas that this imagery is being used. So Annie, give us the psalm in which the light, the, the not, not the psalm, was I saying psalms the whole time? You were saying psalm. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, the, the prophet, in one of the prophets, oh, the famous passage. Okay, I might know yeah. the answer to this one. Because <laughs> I, I was you. like, psalms, oh my gosh, I have a hundred. No, 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 in, my in, head. In, in? Isaiah. Isaiah, exactly. Yeah, it's one of the servant songs. Exactly, um, exactly. Chapter. Chapter. Well, there are like 49, 49, there you go. 49. Okay. Okay. And I'm, I just flipped over there. Um, give me the verse here. You guys going to find it. My good ICC friends. Annie. I am turning to Isaiah 49 right now. You know, my problem is, is, you know, my problem is what this is a learning lesson for all you guys. I left my Bible at home and now it's not highlighted to the passages I need. This is why you have to highlight your Bible because otherwise you look at a page like that and it means you're like, oh my gosh, Father Hezekiah. It's not fair. Look for the word light. Oh, uh, chapter 49, verse six. Okay, there you go. Read it for us. He says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will give you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And this is not the first time, Annie. Remember, remember, go back with me to Genesis chapter 12. And then I've got a point to make about all of this. Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12 and the call of of Abram. Yeah. Mm hmm. Chapter 12, verse 1, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you, and by you, all the families of the earth shall bless themselves. So we have to remember, okay, always, always. We, when we're reading the Bible and we're doing theology, Annie, what's our principle? We must be Christocentric. Christocentric. Then you always have to ask yourself who God is, right? Or Christocentric, theocentric. Who, who is Jesus? Who is, who is God, right? And, and John tells us in his, in his epistle 
that God is love, love and love is the giving of your life to the beloved. Good. See, good father Hezekiah student. There you go. The beloved, right? <laughs> yeah. And so, and so the, whenever one comes into communion with the Lord, that communion is not for themselves. When everyone's called by the Lord, it's not for themselves. Yes, it is good for themselves, but the only good for themselves is that they then turn and be like God, right? The image and likeness of the one who is love, who is known by the very giving away of his life. And so when Abram is called, he's called for a purpose, and that is to be like God. Yeah. Yes. When Israel is called, he's called so that he can be like the Lord. They can be a light to the nations. When Jesus comes, he is that light. And all those who are to follow him are going to be like that, to be ones who give the gift which they've received to others. So let me speak with those who have been the newly baptized and then by extension, every single person here gathered together. My brothers and sisters, you're not a Christian so that you can be a Christian. You're a Christian so that others can be Christians. You don't have, you don't have God's divine life within you so that you can live forever. You have it within you so that others can live forever. Mm -hmm. It's only by giving away of your life that you're going to find your life because that giving away of your life is the life that you've received. And if you're not living that life of loving communion that is pouring out of your life to others, then my brothers and sisters, it's time for a conversion. You're not, you're, you're not a, a, a dead uh, a bucket of water. You're a spring welling up to, to, to eternal life. Yeah. So look around you. Who has God placed in your life to bring the light of truth to? Yeah? To share with them the good news of Jesus Christ. To serve others as God has first come to serve us. This is the call of the Christian. This is what you received on the day of your baptism. That you might go out as Paul did and bring that life to others in Antioch, into the foreign towns and so forth, to anybody that would listen to share that life, to wear, wear the cross of Jesus Christ proudly so others know that you're a Christian for the sake of them. I'm going to get off my soapbox right there. It's a pretty good soapbox. I got to admit. Annie, I do have to say one last thing about this epistle that's given to us, Acts chapter 13, by way of an ICC talk that the great and glorious Dr. Marshner gave many years ago on the issue of predestination. Oh, because wow. in our passage today, it says the Gentiles were delighted when they heard this, the, when they heard this, yeah. throughout this passage, all about hearing, right? The sheep yeah. who hear my voice and they glorified the word of God. All who were destined, destined for eternal life, life came to believe the yeah. word of God continued to spread throughout the whole region. So we have a talk on the Institute of Catholic culture titled, are you saved? Question mark. The Catholic doctrine of predestination only at the Institute of Catholic Culture because you think predestination, Calvinism? Yeah, I was going to say, what would John yeah. Calvin say about this verse? Yes. <laughs> yeah. But what does the Catholic Church say about this verse? Yeah. And there it is. Are you saved? Dr. William Marshner. The recording's not great. It was in the early days of the ICC, but I'll tell you what, Marshner's a gem. And, and there you have it. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I mean, just to, to kind of wrap up the, the study for today, we still need to look at uh, Revelation yeah. just quickly. But I mean, while we don't see, you know, the word shepherd or flock in this reading, it is very clear that that this theme of, of the flock of Christ and 
and being open to all. I mean, it talks about every nation, race, people, and tongue standing before the throne of the Lord. Yeah. You know, I, um, I, I want to just highlight for, for everybody something that, because pretty soon, maybe today, maybe tomorrow, you're going to get a knock on your door on Saturday morning. And on the other side of the door is going to be a Jehovah's witness. Mm-hmm. And they are going to love to use revelation chapter seven to defend their position. Well, they won't go to this first. They're going to entice you with all sorts of other candy, but this is what the Jehovah's witnesses say that 144,000 go to heaven, the chosen ones, mm-hmm. the rest of the sheep remain on earth. And this is what they believe. Okay, that only 144,000 people will total go to heaven. Okay. And, and how do you know you're one of the 144,000 or what are you, how do you know, whatever? Well, on Holy Thursday, when, or their Passover meal, they have once a year in their little kingdom hall. If a person takes the communion, which was just nothing, but if if the person takes a sign that they're one of the 144,000, okay. So then they'll, they'll base it past. They all like fight over this communion. Like I can just see like some death match going on. No, because part of their whole thing is that, look, don't, wouldn't you rather just stay here on earth and be happy on earth? We all, we're, we're made. Well, 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 Look, we, wow. we believe there will be a new heavens and the new earth. We believe that the Lamb of God will come and make his dwelling among men. We believe in the resurrection of the body. Yes. Yeah. And so they entice what is natural to us, which is this desire for everything to be made right. Yeah. To say that the vast majority of you get to do what you really want to do, which is just hang out here and, and Jesus is going to be present. It's going to be all wonderful, right? Well, nice, but not nice because, because they, they, they miss out on the whole union between heaven and earth, right? That, right. that God, is, God is going to come and dwell among us and then the two shall become one, right? But here it is in chapter seven where they say, I, he says, I saw 144,000, right? Mm-hmm. Well, of course, this is, this is John writing very much in prophetic and biblical terms using the number 12, 12 right yeah. and the 12 tribes of israel and then multiplying them by a thousand right or whatever ten thousand, right which is always multiplying this this out so that you can see the great multitude which are numbered according to the 12 tribes right not because there's 144,000 or, or or not because after you forgive 70 times 7 then you don't have to forgive and anymore you're done yeah right that's, that's not the point numbers are used because they were biblical numbers to mean a tremendous number yeah a lot of and then john looks and he says i couldn't even count them right and this is yeah. the passage we get in verse chapter in verse nine but if you read through chapter seven this is what the jehovah's witnesses will pick up on so i'm going to give you the medicine of immortality against the jehovah's witnesses and that is to go to the institute of catholic culture and to listen to my brother's series on the book of revelation which is a major corrective to a lot of this nonsense regarding the book of revelation that you're going to hear out there okay Certainly, the book of Revelation can be read in a prophetic way in terms of things to come, but its primary purpose was not that at all. John was speaking of what he was seeing and what the church was enduring in his day. And only when we understand the book of Revelation in its 
in its historical context, then we can make applications to eschatology, what things will be like at the end times and things like that. Most people skip the historical context of John altogether and begin making end times prophecies based upon something they know nothing about. So I encourage you to go look at my brother's series, Father Sebastian Carnazzo, on the book of Revelation at the ICC is a big corrective to all of this nonsense going on. But for our sake, and for those that have been newly baptized, newly given that white garment, right? That's been washed in the blood of the lamb. Exactly. And, and, yeah. and, and, and now look around you, standing now in the communion of the saints, we stand around the lamb who is on the throne, who is standing though he has been slain. Yeah. The resurrected Lord, who now we're going to receive in Holy Communion, is John has this revelation in the book of Revelation, of the divine liturgy in heaven taking place. All of a sudden the veil opens, I've been saying the last few weeks, and he sees the whole multitude around him now singing. And you know, when we're at, at mass on Sunday, we hear that alleluia being sung, all of the, of, the, of the liturgy of the church is rooted in what the early church did when it worshiped, which is what, exactly what John saw, which was the heavenly Jerusalem, yeah. The restoration of all things in Christ, which is made present now in the church, in her liturgy. Okay. God bless you all this coming Sunday. Please pray for all of our Institute of Catholic Culture family and friends as we continue to celebrate this beautiful feast of the resurrection. And let me tell you, I highly recommend to all of you, call up some friends, invite some neighbors, invite some friends at church. Maybe you're a newly, newly baptized. Maybe you were a sponsor. Invite those people over to your home this Sunday. Go get yourself some good pork chops, standing rib roast, whatever the case may be. And as continue long as it's to pork. celebrate. <laughs> that's right. Continue to celebrate the good news of the resurrection. To Christ our God be glory both now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Christ is risen. Indeed, he is risen. Thank you for joining us for the Institute of Catholic Culture's Sunday Gospel Reflections podcast. The Institute of Catholic Culture is an adult catechetical organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. I invite you to explore all we have to offer, including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities, and sign up for our upcoming events by visiting instituteofcatholicculture.org.